Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Inside Nebraska podcast. I'm Zach Carpenter, the publisher of Inside Nebraska. He is Clint Cosgrove. He is Greg Smith. And Greg, I see you every day, but Clint, I haven't seen your face in like two months, man. Like you called you call me the other day. Uh, you called me the other day to, to uh, tell me that you had the Mickey interview coming. And I was like, I had like five different things going on. I answered like all short with you, like different, different than what I normally am. You're like, wow, what's with your pissy ass? Yeah, I said you're in a bad mood. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I have like five things going on. He's like, well, I'm going to make your day better. You got Mickey Joseph interview coming. So brighten up your day, man. Yeah, no, I uh, I feel good for you that you haven't had to see my face. Um, but here we are again. So uh, God bless you. Yeah. Well, uh, you're you're the you're the one of the national guys we wanted to have on to talk today. Um, kind of buried the lead, but we're uh, we ran our first Husker hot board for the Nebraska national coaching search um, about a month ago uh, after the firing of of Scott Frost. And um, today we wanted to run our updated edition because the first one had like 26 names on it and it's like we know that not all of these are realistic or even going to get interviews but these are the names we're hearing and we're putting it together so I knew that in three four weeks after that one I wanted to to narrow it down and today um, we have about five five to eight names maybe a couple more um, that were that were highlighting as as the top candidates Clint you reported on a few of them about a month ago. Greg, you've been doing some stuff behind the scenes. Um, but today, Matt Rule was fired, so we figured today was the perfect time to uh, to update it. And um, Clint graciously wore an exact replica of something that Matt Rule would would wear on the sidelines and in honor of that. So thank you for that, Clint. Um, oh, in honor of that. Love it. Oh, man. I didn't know you if you were going to go there or not, but you, you went there. <laughs> Clint knows I do that. Clint knows I, I roast him on the, on the videos and stuff, but he's too nice. I'm good. I'm, I get roasted by everybody, so it's all He's too good. nice of a person to clap back. Clint's, Clint's one of my favorite people in the world. He's too, he's too nice to me sometimes. But uh, Clint, want to sort of get um, a couple of things from you at the, uh, from the Nebraska season right now, sort of uh, get your point of view of the program because you're, you're an outsider, but you're not. Like me and Greg are... Uh, around the program every day, um, every hour, pretty much, and you're still you're still um, covering the program, and you have a pretty good grasp of it um, from like an outside, an insider outsider perspective. So, what after a one and three start, the Oklahoma beatdown, and now they've won two games in a row. What's your sort of view of the state of Nebraska football right now? I mean, it's it's trending in the right direction. Um, you know, one of the hardest things, and I might get beat up for this, but, and I, and actually coach Joseph touched on it in our interview. You are the star. When you come here, you are an, you're a pro, you're like an NFL player and you're treated as such. So that prepares you for a lot of things, but it is also different in the sense that Lincoln can be a little bit of a fishbowl. And one of the things that, um, you know, having lived it, uh, I was there in 2006 as a quality control. Uh, obviously, my dad is there. Shout out to all my uh, dad's fans in Nebraska. But um, there's, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure. And there's a lot of expectations. And those expectations were earned over years of success. I mean, I, I talked about this 
Nebraska is a program that transcends time. It is an iconic brand. Uh, it is different than other teams. It is different than other cities. It is different than pretty much anything else out there. It's almost like an SEC feel, um, you know, when it comes to Nebraska football. One of the things that as a coach, uh, as a recruiter, as somebody who has talked to players who have played there, people who have had a lot of success there, uh, there is a fear of failure, I feel like, in the past. They worry about, oh, here we go again. We're going to blow this. What's it going to be like when I go to class uh, this week? What's it going to be like on the message boards? Who's going to attack me on Twitter? And obviously those are outliers. Those are uh, specific individuals, sometimes hiding, sometimes burner accounts, whatever it may be. They could be other fans. Um, but there's a real fear of failure there because there is a standard that has been set in uh, the players on Nebraska and the coaches on the Nebraska staff take a lot of pride in holding up that standard. And for a while, as we've seen, they've had a lot of trouble closing in fourth quarters closing close games, closing games that they should win. And the one thing that Coach Joseph has done in his short time, now this is a limited sample. Uh, I think the Oklahoma game's a wash, you know, crazy time to take over, uh, playing against a team that does have more talent, even though they have a new coach, a new, new system and all of that. Um, but uh, so I, I really look at the last two weeks because that first game was really never in hand and. Uh, the one thing that sticks out is they finished. And a lot of times, I mean, 22 times, I believe, in in the past tenure, they did not close out a game in the fourth quarter that was a one-score game. And I could be wrong on the number. But what Mickey Joseph has done is he has brought in his experience. He He lived it. You know, he was there. The expectations were high. He knew what he had to do every week, and he lived it. And one of the favorite things that he said to me during he's like, I'm from New Orleans. Nothing's too big for me. It might be for the next guy, but it isn't for me. And I, I think that said a lot. The, the kids have taken on his demeanor. They have taken on his approach. And instead of when games are close at the end, and in the past, it's kind of been, and I was there. I, I, I was there when the kids were like, they're like, uh-oh, here we go again. We're going to blow it again. Instead, they've taken his killer instinct and said, this game's in reach. We're going to finish it. Not, oh, no, what's going to happen next? So that is the biggest change that I have seen in a short amount of time. And to be able to instill that culture of winning, of finishing, um, that is not easy to do. And I feel like the biggest thing, and I've said this for years, that Nebraska players had to get over was that fear of failure, that fear of, oh, oh my God, here we go again, and finish in the fourth. And they have finished in consecutive weeks in the fourth quarter. They have finished out games that were tightly contested. Uh, you can say, oh, it was against Rutgers. You know, Friday night on the road in New Jersey at Rutgers, that is not an easy game. I don't care who you are. Um, and so uh, to me, the biggest thing and the reason I see them trending the way that they are and I see them being a contender is because they've learned to finish. They've taken on the head coach's personality. And this already in a three-week span seems to be a different team than it was before. Yeah, you, you speak about the the weird Friday night game on the road in New Jersey, and 
Um, I, I predicted them last week, to, uh, Nebraska to win, but when I made my preseason predictions, when I looked at that Rutgers Purdue, that two game back to back road trip, New Jersey coming back, then you go to uh, Indiana, West Lafayette. I was like, there's just something that doesn't sit right with me. I, I think they're going to split those games. And I picked Rutgers to be the to be the loss because of what you said, the weird atmosphere. It's a Friday night game in a sleepy environment. I don't know if you've been to um, to Piscataway, Clint, but it's it. I have. <laughs> we told it was going to be a sellout and they said it was a sellout and it was not a sellout. We were there um, and the stands were, uh, were much emptier than, um, than many expected. But as the second time I was there, it's like just a sleepy atmosphere. So like you said, uh, long story short, uh, it, maybe it was a 14-13 win, ugly, grinded out, but it doesn't matter for this team. If this team wins three to two, or 45 to 42, it's just important that they win and get those, get that confidence up. Like you said, I mean, um, speaking from personal experience on a much, much lower scale, but um, I was a starting point guard for my junior and senior year for our, our school's two worst basketball teams in our high school history. And junior year, we were pretty bad. Like we were genuinely bad. The summer going into senior year, we got a bunch more young talent. We switched our um, our tempo, we were going to play fast paced first five games of the season. We played really well in four of the five and like, but we lost like, I think all four by 10 points or less. And then it's just like, oh my God, here we go again. And then you just can't get over that hump. And it led to another year that was terrible when we could have, <laughs> we could have been above average. That was our ceiling. And I just, I get that sense a lot on this team. Like we've talked about. And you guys are laughing because I'm admitting that I was a, I was on a terrible team, but the no, above average the being the ceiling, I think is the above thing average. Well, hey, I'm just being honest about about what we had on our team, man. We didn't have a bunch of basketball players. We were, I think, our tallest guy was six two or six one. He was our center, so a foot taller than you. Oh, damn, it feels like two feet taller sometimes, Clint. Man. See, all right, there's the roasting there. Oh, you got you back. There you go. There you go. Clint's on the board. That's good. That's good. All right. Well, that's, now that the roasting session is uh, is is fully on, um, Greg, I know when I was when I was hearing Clint talk about um, sort of the uh, differences in the program and and also that that fishbowl that Nebraska's in. I mean, you've kind of lived it. You were you went to Nebraska. You've been covering Nebraska now for six seven years. I mean. Um, kind of putting you on the spot here, but I mean, when you do have that fishbowl, um, that fishbowl atmosphere and you're the star, like how does, how would that, I guess, affect the coaching search? Because I feel like on one hand, that would be an allure, like that would be an alluring thing for uh, many coaches, but it can also be a turnoff to a lot of them if that doesn't like fit their personality or their style. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, I, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because you're right. On one hand, the kind of celebrity and the excitement, the the how juiced up the fan base is at all times about everything, like that 
is a really great thing in helping to build your program. I mean, we hear it from recruits all the time, right? Like it, it consistently, it doesn't even, it doesn't surprise me anymore, but it still almost catches you off guard that even like in a game, you know, earlier this season against like North Dakota or the Georgia Southern game, definitely the Oklahoma game where recruits are like, man, that atmosphere was just electric. And there'll be Husker fans that are like, man, it could have been better. Like it, it's all, it is different when you see it from the outside coming in. Like, I think people are always surprised by it and just enjoy that atmosphere. So having that consistently there as a selling point for a coach to then a come into the program, but then B be able to turn around and sell that to recruits and their families um, is a huge deal. But <laughs> there's the flip side of that intense pressure and scrutiny, right? Is that people are always watching you and that it is, it is a situation in which like it, there's, it would not exist anymore for if I like, just to pick a, a guy like a Matt Campbell, for example, is a guy who's been talked about for this job. Like I assume that Matt Campbell can go to the grocery store in Ames or go to his favorite restaurant. And he may be someone is going to stop and say something to him, but he's not going to have his entire day disrupted by the amount of Husker fans that would then be coming up to him in those situations. And you you can see it kind of in this, like super inside baseball, but like fan day here, right? Where they essentially, the line was so long for Scott Frost that it like went out of the stadium and wrapped around and they then had to limit it and change the age limits and all of that stuff of who could come. <laughs> like it's stuff like that doesn't exist everywhere, right? Like those are the no. types of things that you're not worrying about in Ames or Manhattan or in Lawrence or something like that, right? Um, and so it can, like I said, it can be a huge selling point, but you also have to, and this is important too as the coach that's going to come in here and take over this program next whether it ends up being mickey joseph that stays on or as someone else they have to know how to utilize those advantages but not get blinded by them and realize yep. that you still have got to put in the work. It is a weird and unique place where all it has all the money in the world and all the facilities are great and the fan support and all of that. But at the end of it, when you take those layers off, it's really like just kind of a blue collar. You've got to roll up your sleeves and really grind to be able to make it, make it successful. Yeah, Clay, I know you've talked about that. Um, like me and you have had conversations about that. Anything else to add from what from what Greg said? I mean, I, I think you put it perfectly. Uh, just, you know, going back to the Matt Campbell example. Uh, so I remember when Callahan was taking the job and uh, my dad was going down there and we were kind of looking at the pros and cons of it. And uh, it was all pros, you know, it's like, this is a winning program. This is Nebraska. This is the next step. Um, and then we get down there. And I remember the first time we went out to dinner, uh, it was me, my dad and coach Callahan the first weekend I was down there and he's wearing like glasses and a hat. <laughs> so like we could sit down at, uh, I can't remember the barbecue spot, but they used to cater a lot of our food and everything. I think my sister worked there even, but um, maybe fat jacks you know, maybe. No, gosh, I think it was on the south east side, maybe. Um, good spot though, great place. And uh, but I was like, is this serious? Like, we're in the car ride over there. Why? Why is he doing this? And I get it. And immediately, I mean, people flocking, and I'm like, all right, it makes sense. I was like, and that was the first glimpse that I got of that culture. And uh, and maybe this is why I'm partial to Mickey getting the job for Nebraska's success is there is a transitional period to where you fully grasp that culture. You have to live it 
before you understand it. And you have to embrace it. You have to love it. And you've got to use it to your advantage because it's one of the biggest advantages there is out there in college football. There is a reason why you can get top recruits to come to Nebraska from anywhere in the country. And it is because of that fan base, because of that history, because of that culture, because of the importance of Nebraska football. Um, but there is an adjustment period because a lot of people come in, you know, like uh, I was part of the Callahan regime. You come in, you're like, uh, this is just football. We're going to change it. We're going to, you know, put in our scheme. We're going to recruit accordingly and then we'll roll. This has been successful in the NFL. It's going to be successful here. You have to go into Nebraska a little different because you have to understand the culture before you can fully embrace everything and use it to your advantage in order to win. I think a lot of coaches come into a new job. They have their plan. Uh, they know their plan works because they've had success with it in the past. And then, you know, it's a little different at Nebraska. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's a big thing. And you have to be very uh, socially intelligent, uh, X's and O's intelligent, uh, you know, intelligent period uh, to really understand that you're not just going to come in, do it your way and win because you won somewhere else doing that. There is a way that Nebraska wins and the fans are going to embrace that and they're going to support you all of the way until you're not successful doing it your own way. And so um, there is going to be a learning curve, no matter who it is, if they have not been a part of the Nebraska staff, didn't play at Nebraska, whatever it is. And I'm not saying we need to go out and get another Nebraska player, get only people who have coached at Nebraska, whatever it may be. But you have to understand that this is a transition. When you come in as a new head coach, you have to adapt. And based off that adaptation, you need to come up with a plan because everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face and you're going to get hit in the face at some point in Nebraska and you can use it to your advantage or you can shy away from it. And that's why I think it's really important that whoever comes in understands one, what they're walking into and two, take advantage of what you're walking into. I mean, you have an amazing fan base, incredible support. But you also got to meet them in the middle. This isn't, we're going to do it my way and Nebraska football is going to follow. That's, I have my way. You guys are the best fans there are. We're going to meet in the middle and we're going to do this together. And I think that is something with coaches who have egos. Sometimes that takes a, a little assimilation. And um, so I, I think it's very important. I mean, you know, you look at some of the main candidates and we'll get to that later, but like Leopold, he's been to Nebraska, he gets it. Um, Matt Rule is, you know, freshly on the market and, you know, heck of a coach, he's done great things. But does he understand the culture? I mean, he went into Carolina and said, we're gonna do things my way. And um, I mean, it just, it just didn't turn out the best, uh, but he's proven to be a great coach now it takes more than being a great coach. It takes a great culture fit. It takes the ability to recruit to Nebraska and it takes ability to understand what it takes to win at a program that has one of the biggest and, you know, most opinionated, strongest and best fan bases there are in college football. But you also, and real quick, Zach, um, before we get into discussing like, names as well, is that uh, to piggyback on that is that uh, ego was something that you mentioned that, that is super important to this, right? 
everyone, we all have it. Um, anyone, especially that has been successful, has it. And it's something that yep. you're just going to have to kind of get over. But at the same time, you personally have to be like, have uh, like be able to control your ego enough to listen to someone that yep. can tell you. It's like, let's say a guy that's not, that has not been at Nebraska. And this is where it's being really important. If it's a guy like a Matt Rule, right? Who's not been in Nebraska, has been a great coach and a great culture builder. He also has to be humble enough to say, hey, here are a few people that I know that either I've retained on staff that have been here, I've brought in that have had experience and I'm going to actually listen to and take their feedback. That's another thing that I think, and this isn't just uh, specific to Nebraska. It happens all over the place where people have their ideas they don't need to listen to people that have been there and done that before. They can just come in because they've been great other places and yep. then it blows up in their faces. That's really, really important at Nebraska to get good advice on what it is that you need to do moving forward. And there's any number of resources to do that. Just ask and people will definitely line up to come out and help you. Um, but you definitely need to do it. No, I I mean, 100%. I mean, there's plenty of people, uh, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, the same secretaries from when I were there are there, you mm -hmm. know, that is your portal to all of this. I would sit down with them first, you know, yeah. they've lived it. They've seen every coach that has come through. And that is an amazing resource that we talk about egos. Uh, a coach coming in might say that's the person who takes my calls or writes my notes. No, that's a resource. That's an advantage at Nebraska. And those people stay there for a long time for a reason. And smart coaches have kept them around for a reason. So I think you touched on a bunch of great points there. Yeah, I mean, that's genuinely not something I would have ever thought of if you didn't bring it up. The uh, the secretaries being here for as long as they have. I mean, it's a small town feel, Midwestern feel with Midwestern values over here. And um, some, some of the points that you guys were talking about, you need a type A personality who's also, uh, like you said, Greg, not doesn't have an ego and is able to, um, sort of shift with the uh, with the demands of the job and listen to those around him. And uh, we we sort of got that sense from of Mickey Joseph when uh, when he was on Glenn's podcast talking about how I think it was Bryce Benhart or um, it was an offensive lineman who uh, talked about. And this is one of the things that stood out when I was listening to it. Um, about they had a night practice on a, a Tuesday, I think, and then the, a Wednesday morning practice and. Uh, he went into Mickey's office and said, Hey, we can't do that. Like we, the turnaround time's not enough, can't recover. And Mickey listened to him and he said, we don't do that anymore. And there was a press as press conference the day or two days before um, you had that interview with him. Uh, Greg and I were talking about it because like the number one thing that came out of the press conference was Mickey talking about uh, Casey Thompson when they essentially benched him for one series against Indiana and he was getting ripped into by Mark Whipple and he just responded like a pro without, um, he, he just took the coaching, he took it like a man on the chin. And he went into Mickey's office on Sunday uh, after the game or Sunday or Monday and said, hey, coach, I don't want, he told him, I don't want to sit out any plays even if it's just like trying to save my body. Like, and Mickey said, I listened to him. I explained to him why. Um, why we did that because he said we live in a I think he said a wide generation where um, the players want and yep. need things to be explained to them and I, I just thought that was pretty impressive like this this open door policy um, Greg I don't know if you wanted to comment on it because we had been talking about it but I mean 
it's just a really important thing for this program and for this, uh, for what, for what Mickey's doing. I mean, even if he doesn't wind up as the head coach, he's building a foundation for the next guy who comes in. If, if it's not ultimately Mickey. Yeah, I, I definitely think that he's building a foundation. And, I, and as we had talked about, like it definitely stood out to me that he talked so openly about the communication piece of it, right? And I think that it was both, he's both done that in podcast and in, in the press conferences, but also in the podcast with Clint, where it's, and you can easily see why it is that he relates to people so well and why he's such a good recruiter. And in just talking to him, you can kind of pick that up. Um, but I do think that for this particular team, it, I think it was maybe the most important thing that he said when he said the stuff about it being an open door policy and it being a two way street. Um, and guys, it gives guys the feeling on this team that he's for them. Like it's not just they're just they're not just there as pieces to get him some glory um, and make the coach like even better. Like they're there together they're in the fight together and one of the things that has come out of this whole thing in like just a few short weeks is and i don't know if you caught this either if you caught this at all after the game they released a, the huskers released a social media video from the locker room kind of talking about like never out of the fight and like starting linebacker nick henrich wrote it on his tape on his arm and i, I it's one of those things where like sometimes you know how like we see this all the time in sports you see those cliches and those little sayings that people do and you kind of roll your eyes sometimes except for when you see something from this team with something like that because to reference something that Clint said at the beginning of the pod you know these guys coming through in the fourth quarter and figuring that out and to have that kind of a rallying cry which obviously comes from the confidence that the coach has instilled in them already because Mickey also talked about showing them like Deion Sanders clips and stuff like that um, to kind of get that confidence into him and Trev Alberts even saying when he made the move from Scott Frost to then bring have Mickey be the interim saying it was it was a lot to do with getting confidence injected into the players to see that take hold already and to see these interviews with Mickey and to see those press conferences you totally get what he's trying to do and kind of what that vision is um and it's it's making for it like we always say this in the business like we just make it interesting like we just want things to be interesting it's fascinating what's happening right now with the team um based on what Mickey has already been able to inject in this team already yeah it's been a 180 degree difference than a month ago. I mean, Nebraska is tied yeah. for place in the Big Ten West. And I thought that was a sentence that I might, I could be saying. I, I thought that on August 26th and even August 27th when I woke up in Ireland that morning, but not <laughs> around what was the 11 minute mark of the third quarter. That <laughs> things started to change. But th then three weeks ago, I would, I would never would have thought that I would be saying that. Like I thought, I've always believed that Mickey was. Mickey Joseph was a good coach and um, had the buy-in from those players. But I mean, we had the right to be skeptical while also understanding that he, uh, he does have the avenue here to um, not just earn the job, but like we said, lay a foundation um, for the rest of this program for the rest of the year, for the next, uh, for the, for the coming years. And um, I think we've seen that so far, small sample size, they played Purdue as a 13 and a half point underdog. Um, and West Lafayette this weekend, but we'll be covering that game more specifically later in the week. Um, but today kind of buried the lead here because I, I wanted to, I wanted to keep this as a, a Husker hot board. Uh, and then you had me on. <laughs> no, but like, that's, I wanted to say that because that's what the plan was, but then you guys kept coming with a bunch of different, like 
great insight like that stuff I hadn't thought of and um that's why I'm like you know I'm just I just let me be the host on the wall I'll let you guys cook a little bit let Russ cook which I guess maybe not this year but um yeah no please not as a Lakers fan please don't I did not cook well, I'm talking about I'm talking about Russell Wilson but Russ Russell oh Wilson. I thought you're talking about Russ Westbrook oh that would be even worse both bad both either bad. way yeah, not a good not a good year for the Russells um no but I didn't mean to compare you guys, either one of you guys, to either Russell Westbrook or <laughs> Russell Wilson. More like I'll Patrick, take it. That's like better Patrick, than I'll Patrick ever be at anything. Josh <laughs> Allen. Um, but so I wanted to talk about the our our new um, our new coaching hot board and run through some of the candidates. And the plan was uh, wanted to hit on five um, five of the top guys, and then. Each of us brought a wild card to the table. And the first one I want to talk about, which we just did, uh, is Mickey Joseph, because he is for this, this coaching search. Um, we've all been in agreement. He is a legitimate candidate, no matter what people said after the Oklahoma game. And he's not a lock, I don't believe, to now be uh, now be the next coach just because they won against Indiana and Rutgers. Well, I, like we've been talking about this whole time, impressive wins, impressive turnaround, but and even a, a, a win over Purdue this coming week wouldn't win locking in, in my opinion. Um, me and Clint just did a fact or fiction that'll be up on the site, I believe, Tuesday, um, if not Wednesday. But tomorrow, yeah, there's still there's still a long way to go. They're in it. They're in this for the long haul, I think. Until um, that, this search is going to stretch until November. And what what's also been nice dynamic is Mickey Joseph is aware of that um asked him at the press conference about the distractions of the national coaching search and um how and then he said this is this is your tryout like this is your nine game tryout and he said Nebraska deserves to have a national coaching search so he's aware of that and I think he's um he's completely obviously okay with that it's his um one of his jobs to show that um that he deserves the right to be considered. And so far it's job well done. But like I said, it's a national coaching search and we whittled that initial hot board from uh, over two dozen coaches, like I mentioned earlier, to about uh, five, five, these five main guys, but there's really like eight or 10 who are still, I think, um, at least worthy of, uh, of consideration, eight to 10 total. Um, I wanted to go alphabetical with these, with these four coaches. Um, and start with Dave Aranda, Baylor head coach, who is probably other than Urban Meyer, it seems to be the the number one guy that most of the Nebraska fans, at least our subscribers on our board, and comment uh, the people um, who've been reading our stories, who either want Urban Meyer or Dave Aranda, and I think Dave Aranda would be, in my opinion, probably a home run hire. I mean, I I think Greg, I know you talked about him being like the number one guy they should go after, but. Um, Clint, what are your, what are your thoughts on Dave Aranda? I wanted to, uh, get you guys' thoughts on why he's a fit and why it could happen and why he's not a fit or why he, each coach may not, um, ultimately decide to come here. Yeah. You want me to kick it off? Yeah. All right. So, um, I don't know Aranda very well, but I've been around him. Um, uh, you know, he was the defense coordinator at Wisconsin at one point. He was the defense coordinator at LSU when my dad was there for the 2019 national championship team. Spent a lot of time down there. Um, 
reasons why he would be a good fit is well, one, he's a great football coach. Um, yeah, get the obvious is, out of the way right off the bat. Yeah. yeah. Rip yeah. that um, <laughs> He's uh he's incredibly intelligent. Um there's a lot of coaches who are smart X's and O's wise. Um, there's a lot of coaches who know they're smart. And then there's a guy like him that is extremely analytical, extremely intelligent, extremely observant, and also a great football coach. Knows how to put a plan in place, knows how to interact with the kids. And, uh, you know, he knows how to not make the moment too big and he knows how to make things uh, not overcomplicated. He gets the most out of his players. And what he did at our LSU was big time. Obviously, they had some dudes there, but, you know, it doesn't matter. There's when I was down at LSU, they said, and I was in some of those meetings, they said that there was by, and I don't know where this analytic came from. There were nine teams that could potentially win the national championship that year. LSU was one of those teams with the roster. And so when you have nine teams that are capable of doing that, um, it comes down to coaching. It comes down to preparation. It comes down to motivation. It comes down to, in Dave Aranda's case, uh, he's never too high. He's never too low. He's the same guy every day. So I think players can depend on him being the same guy. He's never going to waver from the plan. He's not going to panic. And he stays the course. And the course has worked for him. Uh, he has proven to not only be a great defense coordinator, but he has been a great head coach. He has taken over a, a Baylor program. And, you know, uh, in continuation and, and really – you know, turn them into a national contender. Uh, the other things that I really like about him is he's a good person, obviously. Uh, he cares about his players. And um, I just I just don't know if Nebraska is the type of job that he is looking for. Um, I could see him being very happy where he is at. One, I mean, Baylor is a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great school. It's a high academic school, but it also has its limitations. I think Nebraska probably has fewer limitations. It obviously has higher fan sport um, and probably a little more money. I don't know how much money is important to Aranda. The Arandas are doing okay. Um, uh, you know, you talk about kind of the side things with coaching. He's got an amazing wife who would be a great head coach's wife that is underrated in, in college football uh, because they become a, a mom to a lot of these players. They organize a lot of uh, outside activities, whether it be uh, fundraisers, whether it be, you know, taking care of kids, let's say that they were down in the hurricane and let's find a way to get these kids' families help. Like you need a great head coach's wife to do stuff like that because there's a lot on a head coach's uh, plate. So that's one of the underrated things that he brings to the table. I do think he's in position to probably get an SEC job. And, um, you know, it, it really comes down to, am I moving just to move? Or do I have a real love for Nebraska? Is that a job that draws me, that brings my passion out? Is that the end game for me? Because I think the next coach that comes in here, this needs to be the end game, not a stepping stone. This is not a stepping stone program. Um, I mean, guys have had enough trouble winning there, but once you get the ball rolling, uh, the ball is going to be rolling. It, it will sustain itself because when you get that momentum with that fan base, with that support, with the donor support, and then brings in NIL and whatever else, 
um, you know, that's going to be the real deal. And I just kind of see him as an, an SEC guy, to be honest. Um, he's going to have opportunities. He's eventually going to have his pick of the job. I wouldn't pat, uh, put the NFL past him. I wouldn't put the West Coast past him, especially with UCLA, USC coming into the Big Ten. He's a West Coast guy. Um, he's got the West Coast personality, kind of laid back, and the players vibe with him and all that. So I do think he would be a great fit. Um, I have not talked with Dave. I have not talked with his agents. I have zero clue what I'm talking about as far as his intentions moving forward. I'm glad we had you um, on the pod. <laughs> but I do know enough about him to know that I do think he'd be a good fit. And one of the biggest reasons is you talk about assimilating the culture. He would be able to do that. He is extremely socially intelligent. He would lean on the people who have the background, who have the knowledge, and he would come in knowing that he, this is a transition. This is something that he's going to have to learn on the run with, and he would utilize those around him. So I think that's a big positive. Um, at the end of the day, like I said, I don't think it comes down to money. I think it comes down to where he is most comfortable. Is he ready for a change? And, you know, what's his dream job in the end? Yeah, I think um, for these these first three guys after Mickey that we're going to talk about, uh, common theme, not just uh, Big 12 related, but also with these guys, like you said, Clint, um, are, are they aren't they happy with where they're at right now? Like, do they want to take on the challenge of, of what everything that Nebraska brings that you guys have, have laid out tonight. Um, I think that's just, that's a common theme around probably any coach that comes here or any of the coaches who are uh, candidates or interviewing um, or being reached out to about this job, but specifically these first three guys that we're going to talk about, Greg um, with, with Dave Aranda, you've been, um, you've been pretty gung-ho about the fact that he should be the, like probably the number one guy that they reach out to, even though, like Clint said, maybe he has no interest in coming here, but at least kind of shoot for him. So why do you think, why, why do you um, uh, think that he should be the top guy? I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of the stuff that Clint kind of hit on there. Yeah, there's, there's a couple more too. I think that one of, one of the things to me um, is that if, if, when Trev Alberts laid out kind of what he's looking for in a football coach at that press conference after he, he fired Scott Frost um, and talked for a while with us, like it, it, it all lines up with Dave Miranda. Like it just like the type of person that he's looking for, a guy that's a grinder, someone who can relate, someone who can establish a culture, obviously someone who knows X's and O's well. Um, I always think that someone having had some time in the Big Ten as Aranda has had is I think a big deal in this situation because I do think that, you know, like we were talking about earlier with it, it helps you to get a jump start on things if you've been at Nebraska. It's not a prerequisite. It's the same way I think with having been in the big 10 I just think that there's a respect factor there that it, it, it from sometimes from the outside looking in it's hard to explain how difficult the big 10 is because even as we were talking earlier about yeah Nebraska beat Indiana and they beat Rutgers on the road in a sleepy environment you don't know just how difficult that is to do unless you've been in the conference in the league so I like Aranda for that then you start to get to some of the things that like our subscribers have talked about a lot um, on message board, which 
to some of these connections between Aranda and people that are already here in Lincoln. So one Mickey Joseph that we talked about, those guys were together um, at LSU. Bill Bush also around um, during that time. He crossed paths with Brian Applewhite, but they didn't coach together. Um, the senior director of player personnel and recruiting, Vince Ginta, um, who came back um, this past offseason, also worked with him at Baylor. And as a side note, Vince also mentioned the secretaries uh, being the same from his time um, when he was here in the college. Joni Duff. As well. Yeah, Joni Duff. I thought of that. As soon as you said that, I was like, shout out to Joni. Um, then there's also, since like, 1980. Yeah, like there's a bunch of people like that, like, you know, people like the SID, like Keith Mann, the SID, who has been here forever, like, you know, th that sort of stuff matters when you just have that connective tissue um, in the program. And so there are those connections between Aranda and people here. And if I think if Trev Alberts like just made a, a list and then we put a percentage as to how much of that stuff matched up with one of these coaches, I think Aranda would rank very, very high on that. Now, the flip side of that is, is that Trev has to go convince him to leave a very good situation, right? Now, I think that if, if anyone can do it, I think it would be Trev, because I think that their personalities to me would seem to mesh up really well. And I've, and I've said this a few times, um, in, just in other places too, that I think that Trev Alberts is a real wild card in this whole coach search, just because of how much respect that people have for him. Um, and Zach, you and I have definitely seen this in those press conferences where like, you come away from that and you're just like oh okay like I really I believe in what Trev is trying to sell here and what he has going on because he's just so buttoned up um and really relatable so it's good um in that way so but it's going to be tough like I do think that you if, if I'm Trev Alberts I have to make Dave Aranda say no like that is like my first call and I have to make him say no before I move on to anyone else just because I think that he would be a home run hire uh, to come to Nebraska. But I fully admit that that's going to be a, a real uphill battle. Yeah, and like Clint said, we don't know about Dave Aranda's motivation by money or not. But I think if, if any of these coaches, if your number one motivation is money, then Nebraska might be the spot for you. They have <laughs> plenty to offer. They That is one thing that um, without a doubt they can offer. But it's like I said, it's a common theme with uh, with our coaching, um, our coaching candidates that were that we're analyzing today, because uh, then we lost Clint. No, no, we lost our ringer. Oh, no. um, but Greg, I mean, uh, going to our next guy on the list, like I said, it's a common theme um, of, of the Big 12 and sort of personality fits, culture fits. And uh, Matt Campbell, again, as we're going alphabetical here with our our top five coaches that we wanted to hit on. Um, Matt Campbell, uh, another one where maybe he doesn't want to leave a situation that, he's, that he loves and he's comfortable with. Um, I think it was last year he got uh, a raise or a contract extension. I think that's set to go up. But we're, we want to get into the con uh, contractual stuff on the next time mm -hmm. that, that we jump on here in, a, in like two, three weeks or so. But um, Greg, with... Uh, with Matt Campbell, what what are sort of some of the things of why you see uh, him fitting in here? Why maybe he wouldn't take the job? Yeah, it, Campbell is in a similar vein of Aranda for me in that I think immediately of a culture builder, right? And I think that that is something um, 
now, especially when Frost was fired, um, it has obviously shown itself, the, the culture to be able to be changed a little bit just in a short time with Mickey Joseph at the helm. Um, but I think that Campbell would be able to come in and build upon that even more um, because that is his thing, right? I think that most people, when they think about Matt Campbell, you think about kind of overachieving at Iowa State, but you also think about kind of a younger coach that seems to be able to relate and care about his players. Remember when he was asked, um, it, was it with the week that Frost was fired? when every coach in America it felt like was asked at the press conference about that. Um, and then he didn't really say anything about the job itself one way or the other expert level avoiding the question. But what he did do was spend a lot of time talking about kind of what is college football for and making sure that we're serving young people and serving the kids. Um, and sometimes coaches lose their way on those sorts of things. I think those are the sorts of things when you hear a person talk like that, it just screams to me that that person gets like you just see everybody like loving the coach. Right. Um, and so though that to me is a big benefit for him. The, and I think that the the negative for him is kind of what we have been saying about a handful of guys here, which is how comfortable is Matt Campbell at Iowa State? Does it matter to him that he would go up and take kind of that swing at a big time job, quote unquote, right? Like does that how much does that matter to him? Because he's had the opportunity, right? Like over like any major job that has come open over the last like three years or so in college football. And jobs that have come in and came up open in the NFL. I think the Lions and the Dolphins were both reported to have been heavily interested in him, and he kind of rebuffed both of them. I think USC was kind of in the mix one of the times they were looking for a job, looking for a coach. Texas in the mix one of the times that they've been looking for someone as well. Um, but he stayed put in aim. So that always, it, it either says to me that he's waiting for a very specific situation. Or he just is going to be really happy staying in Ames. Um, and, and that'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And his his star has kind of dulled a little bit based on kind of the program or the team's regression this year. Um, and I guess you could probably explain some of that away, but it just would be a, a it's becoming a more difficult sell because you if let's say they end up going six and six at Iowa State this year, it'll be hard to justify to Nebraska fans that this is this great hire because we're bringing this guy over even though it's a totally different situation yeah i mean our subscribers and many nebraska fans have seen weren't uh thrilled or impressed by matt campbell going eight and four nine and three at iowa state so if they've not <laughs> right. tried enough and they're seven five six and six this year uh that's not going to really excite anybody or too many people on this in this fan base and maybe that sounds like it shouldn't be one of the deciding factors is the fan base reaction but as you got you and clint laid out for so long uh, for um, uh, tonight was how important the fan base is to this community, how they're embedded with the team, essentially, like more so than many other college fan bases across the country. So the fan base reaction, I think they're kind of lukewarm on Matt Campbell as a candidate when uh, the day after Scott Frost was fired and uh, we released the first Husker hot board with uh, Campbell listed as the, um, one of the primary targets um and i i don't think that much excitement has come back for him as a candidate but like you said he he does seem like uh or like you said about aranda he does seem to fit what trev alberts was saying oh, yeah. a lot of Absolutely. those check marks um for what he's looking for and if aranda is the number one on the uh highest ranked board with uh you said with the percentages of what Trev Alberts is looking for, then Matt Campbell might be number two with how he's built that program. Um, and 
again, like I said, common theme here um, of, of coaches, maybe they want to take the next swing. Maybe they don't, maybe they're comfortable uh, with, with where they're at. Um, and so the next guy I want to talk about is Lance Leipold, who I think you and I, 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 I can't remember actually what your, uh, what, what your, um, well, guys, thinking is on it. Clint, you're back. We're still recording, buddy. Wow. <laughs> this uh, is, this is still rolling. It's still rolling. No, I, uh, I don't know how that happened, but so good thing I had a second internet connection. Out. So I, uh, <laughs> I just switched to the other internet. Well, we're, uh, if you want to get some thoughts in on, on Matt Campbell, we just talked about him a little bit about, um, why he fits and may, uh, why he may want to come, why he may not fit and why he may not want to, to take the Nebraska job if offered. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that you touched on earlier, Greg, is kind of that blue collar way. Um, Matt Campbell is that type of guy. He has, you know, uh, he was a young coach. Uh, he's relatable to players. Uh, he was at Toledo, obviously, before he went to Iowa State. And at Iowa State, he has done more with less. Uh, he has built a program that is a contender that wins. He's done it the right way. Uh, he knows how to build culture. Uh, they do a great job recruiting. They're not afraid to go after anybody in the country. It doesn't matter. And they do a great job evaluating. Uh, you can look at a guy like Will Campbell. Um, that guy's from Wisconsin. Wisconsin didn't offer him. He's an All-American there. This guy's got a chance to be a high-round draft pick as a pass rusher. Um, they've done a good job with running backs. I mean, you look at what, uh, who was it, Brees Hall? Who Brees went off Hall, this weekend? Yeah, yeah, that's a sore spot I mean, around here. Yeah, well, but you know what? David Montgomery, I mean, like, so – uh, when you think of Nebraska football and you think about, you know, the style of play, the ground and pound of winning in the Big Ten, um, you know, he, he fits that style. Uh, he's got the mentality. I think he can recruit. And, um, you know, it, the big thing is culture. Uh, he is a guy that, like all coaches, I think, <laughs> have egos, but he is a guy who would assimilate very well. Um, he's almost similar to Aranda in that sense where he's going to be very analytical about his approach. And uh, he hasn't had resources like Nebraska has in the past. And if you can win at Iowa State, you can make Iowa State a contender in the Big 12 when you're going against the Oklahomas, the Texases. I mean, even, you know, TCU and, and that, you know, whether it be more fertile recruiting ground, whether it be better facilities, whether it be more money, whether it be a bigger fan base, he's proven that he can compete with the biggest and best, um, you know, in in Iowa uh, in Ames, and um, so I think that's a that's a big positive. Uh, they're having a rough year. Uh, I know Nebraska fans aren't always the most fired up about a guy that isn't absolutely killing it, and you know uh, I think some of that comes from the past where we, you know, Nebraska's gotten rid of coaches that have had winning records, and they're like, why are we going to hire somebody who is coming off of maybe not a winning season when we've had guys that have won twice as much in the past that we fired. So I don't think you can look at it apples to apples. It's apples to oranges. There's a lot of different, um, I mean, not even analytics, but there's a lot of different variables in play here. And, uh, you know, Campbell can get it done. I have no question about that. Uh, if I'm the AD at Nebraska, he's a serious candidate. I just don't know if it aligns right now with where the direction or uh, the trajectory that Nebraska is on 
versus the direction and trajectory that Iowa State is just during this season. And really, when you do these things, you can't look at a, a single season. You can't look at a couple games. You can't look at an injury or an interception or, or something like that. Does the guy have his team prepared, uh, team prepared year in and year out, game in and game out? He does that. Has he built program from scratch? He's done that. Has he taken over a program with talent and sustained it? He's done that. So I think he checks a lot of the boxes. Uh, you know, I'm big on Matt Campbell. Uh, I know he might not have the flash because he hasn't, you know, been in the the playoff or, you know, hasn't won or have they won the big 12? I don't think so. Um, but uh, what right. the guy has done. Uh, they're having, they're struggling this year and might finish what maybe six and six or seven and five. And, that's not really going to fire too many people up around here. They weren't fired up when looking at the fact that he's had nine and three, eight and four seasons. So right. they are backsliding is a little bit of a factor. Yeah, no, it is. And like, it just, uh, that's why I'm saying like, it sounded really good a couple of weeks ago, but it might not vibe with the fan base. And the big thing at Nebraska is like your best shot of being successful. And this is how powerful this fan base is, is if they're all in on you. And, um, not that that would be a deterrent to him, uh, but it might be harder for for Trev to hire him in a year that's not considered, uh, you know, a playoff run. Yeah, and another uh, guy just like that uh, that we were uh, starting to talk about is Lance Leipold. Of they start off Kansas start off five and zero. He has them ranked for the first time since uh, two thousand nine, and then. It was just one game against an undefeated TCU team. Um, so hard to hold that against them, especially when their starting quarterback was out. But now they're about to head into a gauntlet. Um, he's been a hot name. And he's, if we are handicapping it right now, I think he'd be either the favorite or the uh, this number two favorite if we were making betting odds to be Nebraska's coach, just I think with where the, um, the lay of the land is right now. But Lance Leipold's one who um, really wanted to hit on because he's another one that um, Clint, you reported a month ago was one of those top candidates who was going to be pursued by Nebraska in some sort of fashion. So what, uh, what you see from him, another, uh, another culture builder uh, program builder that, uh, that we've sort of been talking about here. So Leipold guy flat out wins. Uh, The guy is a winner. He's proven that he can build a program. He's proven he can sustain a program. Uh, he took what Whitewater does six, seven straight national championships. Um, granted, Whitewater had a great program, but it's not easy to come in after a great and then sustain that. It was like you didn't want to be the guy after Tom Osborne. You wanted to be the guy after that. You know, similar to uh, if anybody is familiar with Whitewater football, like that's big time up there. And uh, he came in there and not only did he sustain it, he took it to a whole nother level. He's, he's won. Um, then he goes to Buffalo. Uh, I believe it was Buffalo after there. And Buffalo is a place that people have had success for a year or two at a time. I mean, uh, Turner Grill, Gill is a great example of that. Went over there and he ended up Buffalo to Kansas, I believe. Um, and, uh, you know, Kansas is not an easy place to win. And what Leipold has done is he has walked in there. He has built the culture. He has established a winning culture. He has done it not the quick, easy fix way. Now, they did go hard in the transfer portal this year, and I don't think that's sustainable long term, just as winning at Kansas has proven to not be sustainable long term outside of Mangino. Um, 
but the thing that I love about Leopold is he is a people person. He is a good person. Uh, you know, great family. Uh, he has experience at Nebraska. He was, you know, not only the head coach at Nebraska Omaha, which is kind of a rub because uh, Trev got rid of the Omaha program, I believe, shortly after. Um, Maybe some but, awkward, uh, some awkward conversations between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. they have to have to patch that up a little bit. Hey, but it's business, you know, and and that's what it is at the end of the day. And and you know, Lance is a he's a seasoned vet. He's he's a smart guy. He's not somebody who's going to hold grudges. Um, he does things the right way. And you just see what they're doing at Kansas this year. You talk about the gauntlet of the schedule they're going into. That started with Iowa State. They squeaked that one out. Um, and then you go run up against a, a very talented and underrated TCU team at the time, come in, you know, uh, keep it to a touchdown. And, uh, you know, like you said, the quarterback was out. And the quarterback's a big piece. Quarterback, I believe, is also a transfer guy. Um, and so you're not going to have these guys year in and year out. If you try to sustain a program based off of transfers, eventually it's going to catch up with you. But I believe, uh, you know, if they were in the mentality of we got to win, we got to win now. We can coach. We know that. We just don't have the dogs to do it right now. They brought in the dogs, and they've had a lot of success. The thing I worry about with uh, Leipold at a school like Nebraska is you've got to be able to recruit and not just recruit well for the Big Ten. You've got to be able to recruit better than those around you. Um, you know, although Nebraska football is getting better, there's there's some big time talent right now. You know, anywhere from obviously Malachi, you've got Benny. Um, you know, I look at the quarterbacks that are coming through there, whether it be uh, Daniel or um, what's his name, committed to Oklahoma State. Oh, Zane, uh, yeah, or Zane. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's some talent coming up in there. And so uh, you've got to be able to secure that home state, put that border around it. And then you've got to be able to go out and win a recruiting battle that you shouldn't win every now and then. And a lot of his staff is a great coaches, great people, great X's and O's guys, great culture builders. Um, but are they going to be able to go and battle, uh, you know, Michigan or USC? And, and not that you have to win all of those battles, but are you going to win one or two of those battles for a kid that one of those teams really wants? Because here's the thing at Nebraska, you know, and I say this with Wisconsin, too, because I do a weekly Wisconsin podcast. If you're Wisconsin, and it goes for Missouri, too, they're in the SEC, and you lose two of your top three players. Missouri, you lose Ezekiel Elliott to Ohio State. Um, that kills you, okay? Uh, Alabama loses their top three players. They're just going to go and take somebody else's top three players. There's a big difference there. So you got to have some dogs that are able to recruit um, and not only lock down your own state, but go and win a recruiting battle that you shouldn't win. And that's going to be huge with whoever the next coach is. And so, uh, like I said, great coaches, great people. They're building a program, but building a program at Kansas and winning is different than building a program at Nebraska and competing for championships. Is Kansas supposed to be a national championship contender year in and year out? No, you can get away with a mate win season have a couple losing seasons, come back, have a nine or 10 win season. Any of that is great. Um, now, there's some advantages that he doesn't have at Kansas that he will have at Nebraska. You're a name program. You are a blue blood. You have the facilities. You have the funding. You're not a basketball school necessarily. So, uh, so if you combine that and you take pieces of what 
he has at Kansas with him. Bring that in and then build some recruiting infrastructure. Like you mentioned Vince Ginta earlier, he's going to be an asset to whoever comes in yeah. uh, to this program. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, Mickey as the head man, whether it's Matt Rule, whether it's Leipold, whoever it may be, uh, you know, the recruiting is going to be the lifeblood of this. Now, the culture is huge. And understanding the culture and building the team the right way that's sustainable long term. But you've got to be able to recruit. And, um, you know, yes, Vince is my old roommate, but uh, he's very, very talented at what he does. And um, he's a guy who can put a plan in place to go and win recruiting battles that you might not necessarily win. And so I think Leipold would be a great fit. I think that it's a no brainer. You know, if you're the Kansas head coach, you get offered the Nebraska job, you, you probably go. It's an increase in pay. It's a national level thing. You got your big 10 deals coming up, all of that. But there's going to be have to be a, an additional recruiting aspect, in my opinion, in order for him to uh, not only land the job. I mean, he's going to have to have, he's not going to be like, oh, I can just bring this whole staff. You know, some of those guys who are on the field right now might have to come in different roles. Now they're very, uh, you know, they're a very integral part of building what he's built there, but they're going to have some, have to hire some dogs on the recruiting trail. And, um, you know, I think that would be the biggest setback uh, for him, but as far as building a program coaching and being a good person, uh, he checks all of those boxes. Yeah. Either hire some dogs or keep some dogs. Right, Greg. I mean, we've talked yeah. about the, uh, um, whoever the next coach is, if it's not Mickey, at least this is in my opinion, um, the number one mission, I think, is threefold. And it's to keep Mickey Joseph, keep Brian Applewhite, keep Bill Bush, who are probably your top three um, top three recruiters. And in, in different states, they're doing it in talent-rich Texas, talent-rich Louisiana, and Kansas City, which Nebraska is needed to, to crack more heavily um, over the years and Chicago with Mickey Joseph that uh, another area where they they really need to to crack and I think Mickey's been um, trying to do that since he came on in the offseason but Greg um, any thoughts on, on on the Leipold recruiting angle or anything else um, that's been on your mind about why you'd be a good fit why you may not be yeah, I think Clint covered it well. I think a couple of things on that, though, that I would add is one, I, I do wonder even more about like, at some point, you're only going to be able to sustain this at Kansas for so long and sustain, I mean, like, have this big magical season, and then either you need to strike or you're going to be there for years and years, right? Like, I, I, because you could miss your turn um, to come up for a job yeah. like this if you if you wait, right? And that that has to be a factor in all of this as well. And why I agree with Clint's point, uh, I think that if he's offered the job, I, I think that he's the next coach if he if he has offered it because you don't turn that down. Because one of the things that really stands out to me about this when you talk about building that recruiting infrastructure and not bringing that whole staff with you in the same roles is you know what happens when you come go from Kansas to Nebraska and your budget balloons for your assistant pool 
in support staff, you can take those guys and you can bring them here, but they may not be just to throw out an example. I don't know who the defensive line coach is at Kansas, but maybe he's no longer the defensive line coach, but he is, you know, the assistant to the defensive line coach, or he's in another role in the recruiting office, something like that. And you can probably still pay him the same amount that you were paying yep. him at Kansas as an on-field coach as you can behind the scenes at Nebraska. Those are the types of things that, and especially if you give a coach that is as known as building pro programs and as good as Leipold is at everything else if you give him that budget and then trust him to use that wisely like I think that that could that is a really attractive package there um it but I, I totally agree though with you're gonna have to beef up the recruiting thing um I know that ta just talking to kids in this region they like that Kansas staff um mm -hmm. it's just always going to be tough to get kids to Kansas right it's just yep. excuse me it's just going to be a difficult thing to do and actually there were a bunch of Nebraska um, high school football players that were down there for their game um, this past week visiting. And so they're very well known in this area, which is actually another plus, though, for them potentially yeah. taking over. And that's also the, that goes the same for Matt Campbell as well. They have a good reputation, um, that staff um, in this region and in this state. And so that helps, though, every little bit of those things that you can get that are not necessarily prerequisites and you would trust somebody to figure out down the road. But if you don't have to have, you know, that learning curve, you would definitely prefer that it doesn't have to happen. Um, but he's a strong candidate for the job. Like, I think the the and I think that he also fits with this would be it for him. Right. This would be like kind of that final stop where he comes and kind of resuscitates the, the once power um, and then rides off into the sunset later after that, um, which also. Also, I think a good thing, because like you guys said earlier, it's not a stepping stone job. It has to be something that somebody is all in on. Yeah, and Kansas yeah. is going to do everything within their power to try to keep uh, a jet. They uh, better be working on it right now. Like, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> you better be yeah, working on that. No question. I believe Because uh, there's Wisconsin out there, too, if they don't go with Jimmy, you know? Like, yeah. You talk about two programs that the guy's a perfect fit for. I mean. Yeah. And, and that actually talk about is Sorry, that is actually a really now interesting subplot to all of this, right, though, because we went through this whole thing where Nebraska fans were kind of lukewarm on Leipold as well. Oh, God, can we really? And it really, part of it is pride, right? You got to get over the fact that you're going to take the Kansas coach. And then all of a sudden, Wisconsin opens up. And because Wisconsin is known as such like smart people up there, and they do the, they do the right things. They've made great hires. They've been so steady. And Nebraska fans have envied that steadiness, even though, you know, they would tell you they stole everything from the Nebraska that's a different discussion for a different day now that live hold is in the mix up there it's like oh wait a second should should we really be looking at this a little bit more and I, I find that part of it really fascinating yeah so, I mean it brings in uh does Jimmy <laughs> I mean like the, the craziest role would be Lance to Wisconsin Jimmy to Nebraska I mean like <laughs> there's so many variables here um and not to go too far off topic but I did want to touch on you know, either hire some dogs or keep some dogs within Bill Bush. Um, when he was on Callahan staff, you got to remember guys like, uh, who was Eric Hag, um, Prince of Makamura, Prince. like they, these are, these are two star guys that he went to Arizona and grabbed and became big time players. So like, not only can coach evaluate, not only can he coach, <laughs> which he's proven in the past couple of weeks, but he can recruit like kids like him. And uh, he, he, uh, he, he can do the deal, that's for sure. Yeah, it was 
kind of dawning on me uh, yesterday and today that everything seemed, the infrastructure in place seems like it's kind of tailor-made for a Lance Leipold or someone like him who's a, a good, uh, a great program developer, um, is a proven winner, culture developer, like we keep saying. But Nebraska, they're about to have the Big Ten money. They're uh, building the new facilities that attracts recruits. Yeah. They have an ace recruiter on staff and Mickey Joseph. And really, I mean, three, if you look at it with the guys we mentioned, uh, with Bill Bush and Brian Applewhite, you have Vince Ginta, who by all accounts, since he's come on and what I think February was when he um, was, I think he was announced to the job, but uh, so. ever, ever since he came on, it's been uh, nearly unanimous that like, this is the right guy for the job. Um, he's a dude. Yeah, he's great. Like, we did a thing when he got announced. They did something that they had not done under Vin Frost, which was they made Vince available to like a handful of recruiting reporters. And we got to go, we got went up to the office and like sat with him for like 40 minutes. And you could just probably serving tell, you coffee. Yeah, you like he's just, yeah, it, it was really good. Like you could, you know, you yep. want to have somebody that's very like personable, but also detail oriented in that role. Very. And he was definitely all of that. Like it, it, I was impressed with it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, back when, back in my past life as a recruiting reporter, you two guys are still going at it. You guys are still in the in the trenches of the recruiting world, <laughs> on a day in day out basis. But no, when I was when I covered in uh, recruiting as my main beat for Nebraska, uh, covering Vince Ginta's recruiting operation in June and July during uh, the busiest time for this 2023 recruiting cycle, it was just um, it was impressive. Just in one word, it was impressive that he's been able to do this and accomplish the goals, the strategic goals of branching out to Texas and Louisiana and Georgia and even Florida and made those goals and has gotten it done. So just another aspect of that, Lance Leipold, maybe not the strongest recruiter, a good recruiter, maybe not uh, uh, Nick Saban type, um, but feels like he has the infrastructure in place if he's able to keep that, um, keep that intact. And obviously there's a million different variables about whether he would or wouldn't be able to do that um, going forward. But speaking of going forward, we have our last, uh, we have our last guy on the list. Um, the one that Clint is tr again, trying to endear himself to by uh, <laughs> with the, with the fit today, but that's Matt rule who was fired by the Carolina Panthers on Monday. Um, again, many variables at play about whether um, uh whether it's Nebraska or anywhere, um, the, the job's open, Arizona State, Colorado, just naming some of the spots. Wisconsin. Auburn, Wisconsin. Um, Auburn might be coming open uh, soon. I love that everybody just counts Auburn. I got to say that. It's awesome. Well, I thought it was going to happen uh, this weekend. So Yeah, I was like, I was, I'm shocked that it hasn't. And it's almost to the point to where you're like, oh, yeah, they, they actually haven't done that yet. But it will, like we just all assume it will. That's what I, I said it like uh, like I already had. I think there's a um, I said like it had already happened. I think there's a subscriber who mentioned the Auburn um, job opening. I didn't even think twice about it in my response to him. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I think it's almost there's a, a foregone conclusion for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But not um, a good sign for Brian Harson. Sorry, bro. Yeah. And that is a factor in this in this Matt Rule discussion is if the Auburn job comes open is. Is he someone who wants to go compete in the SEC? Does he think that that could be the next step for him after the NFL? Also, the factor of he's 
getting paid $40 million over the next four years for the buyout for his contract. And um, I believe if he takes a job at the college level, then um, the next, the last two, three years or whatever of his contract buyout kind of gets dissolved. I think that I have a very loose grasp on that. Well, um, I'm going on vacation. It wouldn't matter oh, yeah. if I'm him. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. That's why like, it's like, does he want to go to um, go be a TV analyst somewhere, like in-studio analyst, like so many um, coaches have done for a year and just sort of like um, get the layout, feel, get the lay of the land and like um, see if other jobs come open, if Nebraska or potentially Auburn or um, Wisconsin, what have you, if he doesn't feel that's the right fit for him. And so that's just another variable in this Matt Rule discussion, but um, he is going to be reported on uh, the insider's board today on nebraska.rivals.com is that he is Matt Rule. Um, there's a push, there's a pretty big push from um, Matt Rule's camp to get the discussions going between him and Nebraska. And um, I expect now that he's available, I expect him to be, to become a more serious candidate moving forward. And today um it was only the only one i saw at the time i um i was looking at the the odds for nebraska's next coach or matt rule his next coaching destination i mean nebraska was the favorite plus 150 and auburn was plus 300 and jobs not even open yet um but it's so great well, it's a rough world we live in out there tough man <laughs> football coaching man it's cutthroat no one no one uh yes. no one feel sorry for uh, for most of these, most of these guys, but Clint, why Matt Rule? Again, he's one of the three guys along with Matt Campbell and Lance Leipold, who you originally reported was uh, going to be someone Nebraska pursues. Why would he be a fit for for what Nebraska needs and wants? And why why may it not happen? I, I think there's going to be a little competition for him. And then you talk about the buyout. Like, do you want to do that right away? Uh, or do you wait for maybe a dream job a year from now? He's one of few coaches that could probably sit out for a year and kind of see the lay of the land and see what happens and then still have his pick of the litter at the end of the day. Um, so uh, I don't know if it'll come down to money. It's probably going to come down. Where can I win? Where can I win now? Uh, my understanding is he would like to be in the NFL, but um, the NFL probably didn't work out at least until this point. And, uh, he loves being a head football coach. So I think, yes, with him being open uh, and now available, he becomes a much more uh, realistic candidate. But um, just from what I heard today, uh, there's, you know, three people probably more involved in this search uh, than he is at this moment. But a lot's going to change in the next 48 hours because, uh, his agent's going to go to bat. He's got a powerful agent and they're going to start, you know, figuring out what the next plan is. Uh, I think he'd be a home run hire. I do think he'd win. I don't think it would be too big for him. I think he could assimilate to the culture. Uh, he's overcome adversity. You know, obviously when he took over the Baylor program, he's been a winner. Um, so, uh, and he's been in the limelight, not that that Carolina is the biggest media market and the most, you know, it's not like being a Jets coach. You're going to get ripped apart whether you win or not. Um, but uh, I think he would handle it well. It wouldn't be too big for him. Uh, I think, you know, having coached in the NFL and coached players like Christian McCaffrey and, and uh, you know, some of the greats that he has coached, I think that's a draw to kids as far as recruiting goes. And he's proven that he can do it uh, at a high level. So 
Uh, yes, viable candidate. I think there's going to be some competition for him. Wisconsin fans, you know, if it's not going to be Jimmy, you know, they're big on him too. And so I don't know where he ends up. I don't know if he chooses to take a job, but just the fact that his agent was floating him before he was even out, hopefully this doesn't get them in trouble. Um, just hearsay if it does. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I think there's some serious interest at, at, at taking a college coaching job. And, you know, at the same time, Nebraska was one of the ones that was open. And now it appears there's going to be a few more open. You know, if Auburn opens, uh, I would consider him a serious candidate there too, you know, or maybe he wants to go to the Nick Saban rehabilitation program when Bill O'Brien leaves and, uh, you know, have his pick of the job that he wants after that. You, you never know. Um, there's just, like you say, so many variables and um, the guy's got a big buyout. So I, like I said, I'd be on a yacht somewhere. Um, I wouldn't be worried about stressing the old ticker to, uh, to get the next job as soon as possible. Yeah, college coaches are a different breed, though. They want to, they're hyped up. They want to get back in a competitive ring um, as, as quickly as possible. So often, when it's like, man, you can relax, you're making $10 million a year, but there's uh, built different, as the kids say, as you guys know, you guys are <laughs> reporters, you know that phrase. But Greg, with, with Matt Rule, um, again, fired yesterday and a lot of different variables. But what do you see? What do you see have, have Matt Rule? I feel like a lot of the things that Clint uh, hit on, home run hire, I, other than Luke Fickle, who is not a realistic hire, Urban Meyer, who we've reported is not uh, likely to be interested in coming back to college football coaching. I'm trying to I'm trying to emphasize that as strongly as I can. Without <laughs> being... I've had two high profile recruits tell me that they would not consider Nebraska if Urban Meyer was the next head coach. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they makes I, a lot of sense. I think recruits coming up now, they don't remember Urban Meyer from the Florida Tim Tebow National Championship days, maybe not even necessarily the Ohio State days. They they know what they see on on Twitter and Instagram with of the social media of the Jaguars absolute debacle when he was there. And um, so I think that's another factor going in. So we had to mention Urban Meyer for SEO purposes. So drink Meyer, Nebraska head coach. Not, not, not likely to happen, um, but Matt Rule possibly could happen. And <laughs> I know uh, you have some feelings on him as well um, along the lines of what, uh, what Clint was saying. Yeah, absolutely. I think that if so, if, as we've handicapped this thing and kind of gone through what, what my board was, if Aranda was one, Matt Rule has shot up to 1B um, or 1A, whichever way that goes, um, after he was let go yesterday, as of when you guys are probably listening to this. Um, there And there's a, a lot of a lot of overlap there. I think that the, the two things that really jump out to me, and it, they're kind of obvious, are his turnaround at Temple and his turnaround at Baylor and what he was able to do there. And those two places, especially Temple, um, are much harder to win at than Nebraska is going to be, right? And I think that that is something that you have to factor in on and that he knows the work that it takes to rebuild a program. And I think that he fits He fits culturally when it comes to like the style of ball that he likes to play um and that he is more and he's coached both the offensive <laughs> and defensive lines um he understands kind of the importance of the lines of scrimmage uh, but also then ran some rpo stuff um, when he was in college down at baylor so he understands kind of the changing landscape i'm kind of big on guys that and, and nick saban i guess is to me the best example of this guys that have a certain thing that they really want to do nick saban never wanted to open up that offense and run this no. 
spread. He wanted three yards in a cloud of dust, but he saw teams running by even his five-star recruits. And he was like, wait a second, we got to figure this thing out. He complained about it first, but then he totally changed his offense and then ripped off some more national championships. I say all that to say about Nick Saban is, is that I like coaches that are adaptable like that, right? And I think that Matt Rule has actually proven to be that. He's even given like talks and coaching clinics on RPO after being kind of such a power football guy before that. And I really, really like that. I think that he would do well with the resources that Nebraska um, is afforded in this case as well. And being able to kind of spread that around and figure it out from there. I do also like that, like Clint said, that he, Carolina is not the biggest media market, but he has kind of been in the show, right? And so coming from that to what this is, when you show up on your Tuesday press conference and you got 50 people in there, like that's not good. Well, it's going to alarm him at first because it does to everyone. (laughs) Everyone mentions that when they first see it, Um, but it won't be too big for him. Um, And I do think that it, the timing of it, and this is something we didn't mention before, the timing of all of this works out really well if you were to make the hire as soon as possible. Not, I'm not saying like, you know, I saw on the board, like somebody say, oh, they could hire him like next week and then he could take over. No, not, not like that. I mean, what our world, you and I, Clint, the early signing period, it'll be here yep. before you know it. You're going to want someone in place if you can. Like if, if, say, Nebraska had him in place announced in press conference done like the Sunday after the Iowa game, that's great. That gives you all the time that you that you need to be able to then, or the maximum amount of time to then be able to solidify that recruiting class, whether or not you're holding on to guys that are already in the class or you're having to kind of wrap up some recruitments that you guys were already working on or new players that you need to go and get. So I think that because he's not in a job, it makes that portion of it easier as well. I think there's a lot of reasons that Matt Rule would, would be a great pick for Nebraska. And like I said, overall, he's just a winner at the college level. And I think that Nebraska obviously needs someone um, to help lead them in that direction. Yeah, and we, if you listen closely to, to Trev Alberts um, in his press conference after firing Scott Frost and then talking about the national coach search, uh, he was asked like, what's the ideal timeline? And he said, well, yeah, the ideal timeline would be uh, have the coach in place by early signing period um, so that they can try to um, recruit or recoup some potential losses. That he, this, these weren't his words, but keep a recruiting class intact um, and then go uh, get um, build some momentum for the for the next class. The early signing period starts um, December 21st through 20, December 23rd. And um, I believe it's the week. I'm looking at the recruiting calendar now. It's uh yeah November twenty seventh through December seventeenth is that is that contact period. So if you're getting seventeen, what is that seventeen twenty one days three three full weeks um, of being able to be in homes um, and being able to to talk to those recruits, that's obviously ideal. Um, but like you said, Greg, I mean they're not going to be going out and hiring them two weeks from now. I mean, could you imagine if they beat Purdue? And then they have, they're going into the Illinois game four and three, and that's a battle for first place in the big 10 West. And then they announced Matt rule as the Nebraska head coach. Like what? That's just good. That would be so bizarre. That's just not going to happen under Trev Alberts. Like it's just not. No, I could never see that happening under Trev. (laughs) No, No. maybe Bill Moose. Maybe Bill Moose would have made that work, but no, not true. Um, I know we're at we're at like hour hour twenty hour twenty five of the podcast, but uh, so, geez, how much did I miss? Yeah, well, Clint, it was mostly you talking the whole time. Uh, <laughs> typical. 
no, you guys, you guys have been dropping some insight. Like I, I, I'm the host here, but I'm like sitting here, like you guys are talking. I'm like, I'm kind of learning a lot over here. Some things I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have even thought of. Um, but wanted to run through some of the last guys. Uh, some of the guys were in the mix. Um, I call them wild cards or in the mix, whatever label you want to you want to say. But we ran through uh, five of the um, candidates and in, in depth, and wanted to hit, touch on a few more here. Um, so I'll I'll go up first with with my first wild card or uh, whatever because I was told that there is it, it's that classic coaching search of there's a mystery power five coach. Um, <laughs> And this was told to me by someone who's very reliable, but like, when you hear the term, uh, a sitting mystery, sitting power five coach, it's like, Oh, okay. One of those, but head coach, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sitting power five head coach. And, um, I think one of the people that we're not talking about, and I'm not, I'm not feeling like overly confident that this would be the guy in the end, but Mark Stoops at Kentucky is an interesting name, um, to keep on the back burner who I, I put down as, uh, a long shot in the original hot board. And as time has gone on, things have progressed. He's, uh, his name's emerged more, um, at least as someone who might listen. Um, I know he has like the best contract in college football of getting a raise every year. And if he wins eight games, like he's, he's set for life. And they're going to build a statue out of him if they go eight and four every year. It's like when you're getting paid for, um, a relatively stress-free job when it comes to college football coaching. Um, this is uh, SEC, baby. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like I said, relatively. Really, <laughs> I still might be wrong about that. That is relatively uh, stress-free. But but would he want to leave that job and that the cushiness and the comfortability there for uh, a new challenge at Nebraska? And again, it's a common theme, right, of so many of these, these candidates. Um, of whether or not they want to take on everything that Nebraska entails, but uh, Clint, you're a you're wild card guy in the mix, uh, person candidate guy. Label it. Uh, yeah, person, <laughs> dude, kind. Uh, um, uh, I think Bill O'Brien is a candidate here, and here's why. Although I do feel he wants to be in the NFL. Um, he took one of the hardest situations in college football history and made them a winner. And you want to talk about a fishbowl, uh, happy Valley is not a big place, but it's a big, big stadium. You walk in there. I remember the first time we played there, I walk on the field and I'm like, there's Joe Pa. Oh my God. There's like 110,000 people in the stadium. I'm like, that's the real deal right there. And there's a lot of pressure there. And I don't think we hear as much about it in the Midwest just because we're so removed from it. But, uh, he, took one of the hardest things with one of you know a very touchy subject and he took a something that could have ended a program literally ended a program a very important program to college football and made the most out of it and he did it really quick and now he you know obviously he used that to go to the NFL pretty quickly as well and I know that he likes the NFL and I don't think he's enamored by the college coaching world or not coaching world, the recruiting aspect of it. But the thing I really like about him, and this is, he's doesn't give a shoot. And that can be a very good thing and it can be a very bad thing. 
he is not going to back down to criticism. He's not going to be intimidated by criticism and he will build a football team that is not afraid of criticism or afraid to fail. They will take on his mindset. He is a tough dude. He's going to rip their ass and he's going to, you know, it's almost like, you know, guys who go to training for the Marines, their drill sergeant is going to love them up by the end of it, but he's going to break them down and then build them up. And by the time he is done molding this team, the outside noise isn't going to matter. So we know he can coach. We know he can do X's and O's. He's proven that he can, uh, if not recruit himself, he can hire a staff that can recruit. And it's not going to get too big for him because he doesn't care if there's for sale signs in his yard or if somebody's calling and giving a death threat. He might even answer the phone and talk with them. Um, And I think that is something that – uh, you have to, especially if you're not going to ultra assimilate to the Nebraska way and not saying you have to, to win. Um, there's multiple ways to win, but he's not going to be intimidated by the standards, the expectations, and he's not going to back down to anything. So I think that is why he can be a good fit. He's in the, uh, the Saban rehab program right now. Um, all of those guys have gone on to do very well. And to be honest, I, I do like a lot of these candidates, but when we're talking realistic candidates, um, you know, I want to see how the rest of the season goes for Le- uh, Leipold, uh, Campbell. I don't know if the fan base is going to get on board with that. Miranda, I don't know if he's coming. Rule is going to have some competition for him. Uh, you talk Bill O'Brien and, you know, to me, if I'm, if, if this keeps going at the trajectory it is with Mickey, um, I think a lot of people take for granted that all of a sudden new coach comes in and Mickey just stays on and Bill Bush stays on mm-hmm. and, you know, Vince Ginta stays on and Apple White stays on. <laughs> That's not guaranteed guys. And so um, if Mickey keeps this thing rolling, I at least give him another year. If they win on Saturday, that's the first time since what, 2016, that they have won three straight Big Ten games. I don't care who you're playing. They hadn't won two consecutive FBS games since, what, 2018, 2019 maybe? If you win three consecutive, especially at a very dangerous Purdue team who you really never know what to expect from at Purdue, um, the players are buying in. And there's upward momentum. And we know that Mickey can recruit. Uh, We... The, the open door policy, a lot of coaches say they have an open door policy, yeah. uh, but that's not true. You walk in and the coach is like, get them out of here. You know, you walk into Mickey and you have a real concern and you're an actual player who gives their all to the program. He's not willing to say, you know what? I was probably wrong. Let's do it your way. You know, he talked about meeting in the middle. So if I'm not going with Mickey, Bill O'Brien is very, very attractive to me. Um, if I'm Trev Alberts and uh, you know, he's learning under the best right now and he's proven to be one of the best already. So uh, I think, you know, he, he, he could be a guy, all these guys are guys, but uh, if, if, if I'm not going with Mickey right now, uh, depending on how the rest of the season goes and depending on what options rule has uh, you know, I, I think Bill O'Brien's not only a sleeper, but a legit candidate. Yep. And I think all three of us are in agreement that the number one ideal scenario is Mickey continues to win, continues to uh, take this program on upward trajectory. He already has it turned around what feels like 180 degrees from what it already was. The number one ideal scenario is that he keeps winning, 
and to keep him in place, keep this infrastructure in place going forward. But he's Trev Alberts is not going to do that just to do it. So mm-hmm. um, that's why that's why we had this national coaching search in the background of this entire season. But um, I think that's what seven or eight guys that we mentioned. Greg, you got one more that I feel like the fan base fan base is a little split on, and a guy who <laughs> I think I think. It, it could happen if I just keep forgetting about that to mention um, or even think about when thinking about the top candidates. Yeah, Chris Kleiman is that is that mystery name that I have uh, out of Kansas State. He's got Kansas State five and one um, right now. Obviously, has had um, a ton of his success in his past uh, coaching career at North Dakota State, uh, winning four uh, national championships up there. Um, has been. I, it was not a it's not a straight upward trajectory um, that he's had Kansas State on. They had started off well and then kind of dipped a little bit and then have made a comeback here in the last two years. Um, I think his style of football would play really well um, in this conference and with this fan base if everybody kind of gets on board there with it. That's a big if. And like you said, Zach, it is, it's split um, at this point. There's also kind of, it's another one of those staffs that just talking to kids in the region, they like that staff a lot. Like they, that I know you've run into this, Clint, without even asking you, like the kids really like that staff at Kansas mm-hmm. State and they've got some yep. really um, good recruiters on the staff and really great guys on their staff um, that could come over to Nebraska as well. I think it's a little bit of a similar situation with Leifold at Kansas where you worry a little bit about the step up in the level of recruiting um, that they would have to do. Um, but again, there are ways around that. I always think that that's one of those things that every people will hand ring about but if, excuse me, if you have a good coach and a smart coach, he'll figure that out, right? Like, I think that that'll be something that he puts an emphasis on to either retain guys, bring other guys in, switch some roles around, um, whatever needs to be done. Uh, but like you said, I think the biggest thing that kind of is, is the deterrent there is not necessarily would he take the job? I, I, my sense is that he would, but it's whether or not people will get on board with him. But before I get out of here, I do want to mention, go back and circle back on the Mickey point. Totally agree with you, Zach, that if the, the, I think the number one, like best case in a lot of different ways, even though I have a Randa and rule as one and one a on the board, that is not to say that I would not, I don't think that Mickey could do it or that he would not be a good candidate for it, because I think that it would be a tremendous um, storyline and continuity situation if he were to continue to put them on an upward trajectory, because one of the things that we haven't talked about on this as as it relates to Mickey is, is that you still have a situation where he hasn't been able to put his entire vision in. If you think about it, 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 he's had a few weeks, right? And he's put some stuff in and he, but there's only so much you can do. Like there's only, like you can't fire everybody (laughs) and you can't really, because you can't replace everybody in that short amount of time. And oh, by the way, him being elevated from like the ace recruiter, great wide receivers coach left a hole there, which uh, analyst is feeling right now, Mike Asano is feeling, but they would go out and hire somebody to replace that. Bill Bush moving into defensive coordinator, should Mickey stay on and continue that? They'd hire somebody to to fill the role that he was in. So there's a bunch of other decisions that would have to be made. And this would be, we dive way more into this later if, if, we, if they continue winning. Um, and that becomes an even more real possibility because that to me is super interesting to see if we got a taste of the Mickey Joseph vision and what he can do. If we got the full thing with a whole off season and him making new hires in a whole bunch of different areas, 
what would that end up looking like? Because just the taste of it has looked pretty good with not a lot of time to change things. And you can't really change the personnel in this time either. Yeah. And there's some of those things that need to be changed. So yeah, so I think that I do it in on that. He is a real candidate for this. Um, and it is, I think that a lot of, I know not a lot of Nebraska fans are rooting for that because I see it when even today we mentioned the Matt Rule <laughs> report and I saw my mentions fill up with, nope, Mickey's our guy. Like, I know that there's some of that. Just let it play out. That portion of it will kind of take care of itself. Yeah, that would be ideal if everything plays itself and works itself out. Um, it's not the same situation if everything works itself out when we talk about like a team that's at 88 scholarships and it's like, oh, these things always work themselves out. This situation may not. I mean, it's positive momentum right now. But again, like Clint said, you're going into a, a tough game in a like another weird environment at Ross State Stadium. Yeah, yeah just a Buffalo. weird one. At night, too, where they played pretty well. It's They've got not a pretty an easy team, place to win. You, yeah. No, it's really not. And that goes back again to what we were saying earlier about these weird Big Ten places yeah. where it's even the teams that you don't necessarily think are that great, it's not easy to go in there and beat them in their plays. Yeah, that's – it's just – I'm having a good time covering this team because there's so many interesting variables. And, like, you just mentioned that. That's just another one. Of like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you go from covering Ohio State national title contender, but that doesn't mean that covering Nebraska is any less interesting or crazy or busy or juicy storylines. So I, I have find it more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, There's so like, much going on. It's oh, never a dull moment around here. He yeah. another six touchdown passes and they won by a billion. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do we talk about next week? <laughs> um, but Clint. I really appreciate you you uh, diving in here with us. Um, yeah, this is fun. I think you're part of the Nebraska football beat now with the Mickey uh, Mickey Joseph <laughs> interview, and then being on for like an hour and a half, give or take, uh, with, with us here. So maybe we're gonna have to have you back on. I'd love to uh, in a couple, two, three weeks, uh, um, come back on. Maybe talk about some other stuff about this coaching search. Get into some more details of minutia. Um, Minutia, minutia, whatever. Um, word. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. And uh, I think I understand it within a sentence. I will be in Lincoln uh, the weekend of October 22nd, though. Oh, okay. You want to hang out? I'm going to hang out. <laughs> All right. We're, uh, we're going to go get a beer or something whenever, you're, whenever you come back into town. We can chop it up. Uh, and then you two, you and Greg can start your own podcast together because you guys were lights out today. So <laughs> Russell you. Westbrook and nah. Russell Wilson. Go <laughs> yeah, Wilson and Westbrook. Did we redeem ourselves from Wilson prime, and Westbrook? Like, I'm talking Super Bowl. <laughs> in the prime. Oh, okay, in the prime. Okay, I'll there rock the go. baby then. That's fine. <laughs> but no, guys, I appreciate you jumping on here for uh, for extended talk about this. Been meaning to do it for a while. So um, I really appreciate you guys. And um, uh, for all our watchers, listeners out there, uh, we are still running a free promotion at nebraska.rivals.com for a free month subscription to all of our, our um, premium content and our message boards. Um, you can see Greg's recruiting updates on there, Clint's recruiting updates, and some coaching search stuff on there. You um, kill it, Greg. Thank you. No, it's really them. impressive, man. I get tired of being the one who tells him compliments all the time. I'm like, all right. <laughs> no, you, you're the real deal, dude. I, I, I I love your stuff. You, you're doing a fantastic, amazing job, man. It's really impressive. Thank you. I appreciate it.
Yeah, Greg comments. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, we're uh, we're gonna be covering the Purdue game. We got bold predictions coming out. Uh, Mickey Joseph press conference is later today that will be will be all over on again Nebraska.rivals.com and the Inside Nebraska YouTube channel um, for Greg Smith and Clint Cosgrove. I'm Zach Carpenter, and we will see you guys again the next time. <laughs>